The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On today's Court TV podcast, the killer girlfriend murder trial rolls on as the prosecution lays out its case that Ezra McCandless murdered her ex-boyfriend in cold blood. And to another killer girlfriend, the infamous Jody Arias is back in court trying to get her murder conviction overturned. We'll update you on that case and discuss the similarities between the two women. Plus, a look ahead at the retrial of former NFL star Kellen Winslow II. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast, the only officially sanctioned podcast <laughs> by the network of record in the world of crime and justice Court TV. I'm Vinnie Politan, former prosecutor, seated with the laughing woman, <laughs> Seema Iyer. That's who, me. Who is also a former prosecutor and a very seasoned criminal defense attorney. That means old. Well, I, I Sitting mean, with the old lady next to me, Seema Iyer. Not too old, but, I mean, you do have real real experience yeah, in the courtroom. Yeah, real chops, babe. Yeah, exactly. So uh, welcome back, everyone. Great to have you with us. And for first-timers, we also, when we're not doing this podcast, we're on television every day. That's right. Uh, doing the same thing, covering the big trials and big stories in the world of crime and justice. And this is a little background into what we're covering now. The big trial that we are on now is Wisconsin versus Ezra McCandless, the love pyramid. That's what this case is about. So Ezra McCandless, her name used to be Monica Carlin. She's uh, been introduced to us as a young lady who's gone through some gender identity issues. Sure. But she's on trial now for allegedly murdering her ex-boyfriend, Alex Woodworth, on March 22nd, 2018. You're opening your mouth. You have something Why? to say. What's happening? I, I don't know if they were girlfriend and boyfriend. Oh, it was good a point. Sec- it was okay. a secret relationship. I would call them lovers. Lovers, lovers. I think that's much more descriptive. I think only old people say lovers. Like, when I, I'm too old to say the word boyfriend, so people say, oh, who is this guy? Oh, he's my lover. Oh. <laughs> anyway, okay, so back no, to but I think when you say lover, I think that the the relationship is more secretive and it's more sexual. Right. And that's the that's what I'm getting from the relationship of Ezra and Alex, the defendant and the victim. You're right, because Ezra's main squeeze was Jason Mengel. And while she was involved with Jason Mengel, she also became involved with Alex Woodworth. And now they all hung out at this place, Racy's Coffee Lounge. This is in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Population 65,000. It's a small college town, a lot of hipsters. A lot of and, cool And by people. the way, yeah, well, very and the, artsy. The coffee place, Racy's, where they hung out was actually, I, I read some Yelp reviews on it. Oh. And this is, they say it's the coffee's good. Okay. But it's the coolest and hippest place. Well, to get coffee in if Eau Claire. You, from all the videos, it looks pretty cool. It looks pretty hip. And it looks very artsy. So these are a lot of artsy folks. Now, there's one more player in the love pyramid, and that is John Hansen. So Jason Mangle and Ezra McCandless, they were the main item in this uh, pyramid that we, we, we call it a pyramid. But at some point, Jason Mangle, he was... National Guard Reserves. He went out of town for a few weeks. He told his friend John Hansen, hey, dude, uh, help me out. Look after my girl. Well, 
John Hansen did a little more than look after Let me tell his you, girl. You, no, no. Who does that? First of all, why do you tell your friend to look after my girlfriend? That's kind of different and strange. It's I, weird. It's, it's weird. Unless okay? unless you're living in like a dangerous neighborhood or something. Yeah, but the I, worst part yeah. is that, that Hansen ends up having sexual relations while he's looking after her. And, and exactly. that, to me... You don't do that to a friend. Absolutely. And that, so that throws a little bit of a wrench in this story. But the bottom line is, at some point, Ezra is riddled with guilt, it sounds like, from being involved with all these people. So she cuts it off with Alex Woodworth. And this was about a month prior to his death. Now, no one really understands uh if she, in fact, murdered him, and I think this is what you and I are struggling with, what is the motive? Because she basically tells him it's over. This is February 24th, 25th. And then March 22nd, she goes to his house to return, A, a heating pad, and B, a bookmark. Because, hey, if I didn't get those things back, I would be fighting tooth and nail. It, to it, get it's, them. it's really a strange situation because the, the day and and the killing, and, and we know that Ezra killed Alex. All right? That's that's not being contested here. The question is, was it self-defense or was it murder? But on the day that they all got together, uh, Jason was there too. The day that Alex and Ezra get into the car and take this drive that ends up, ends up in the death of Alex, Jason is there on his bicycle at Alex's house. It's all it's, strange. It's very confusing. But you know what? Let's actually just... Take a second, because I want to set this up, how the prosecution and the defense set it up. So let's listen to a clip of the prosecution's opening statement and their theory of the case. This case is about an extreme anger and a twisted form of love. A love so dangerous that the defendant killed Alexander Woodworth in an attempt to recapture the relationship she wanted with Jason Mangle. This is not a case of whodunit. So the prosecution is right. This is not a case of who done it, but it is a case of why. Like you just said, Jason Mengel was there at Alex Woodward's house the day of the killing. However, again, the motive's not clear. She she th- what twisted form of love? Who did she love? I thought she loved Jason Mengel. Right. And so why would you have to kill Alex to be with Jason? It's not you're broken up already. This this is and, exactly. and I, I think this is a, a real challenge for prosecutors because it's you know, when you talk about love triangles or love pyramids, the traditional motive is jealousy or if I can't have you, no one can have you, you know, things like that. And, and none Alex of that wasn't doing that. No, he, he, he was done. He was over. OK, so let's listen to a clip from the defense. This is their theory. Her disturbed and obsessive ex-boyfriend attacked her, cut her, strangled her. She wanted to live. She fought to survive. She's here fighting again to survive. Oh, Lordy. He's so dramatic. I love him. I want him you, to host oh. a podcast. He's so dramatic, we, no, this criminal defense me, we attorney. We have a podcast. We don't need another podcast. But if we He's did, so I would get him drama. to host it. He is so good. She's fighting to survive. No, she's not. Okay, pump the brakes. All right, so listen. Let's talk about I'm not about saying this, I'm but, buying the argument. I just love the okay, delivery. But here's, okay, just listen to what he said. Obsessive ex-boyfriend. Obsessive ex-boyfriend. They broke up a month before, and Alex Woodworth was just living his life. 
Right. He wasn't trying to get her back. Now, this, but this is a good point where we need to look ahead at the defense case because in this opening, they're saying, cut her, strangled her. Okay. Well, according to the prosecution's evidence so far, there is no evidence that Alex Woodworth cut her. The only evidence the prosecution has put forth is that Ezra McCandless cut Ezra McCandless. That's where we're at. Right. She has self-inflicted wounds, which the defense is saying, no, that was the attack. That was the attack by Alex when they're together in this car, in her car, her car, her car, by, her car, by the way. This, this, she picked him up. That's one of the biggest facts that undermines the, the defense case here. They're saying that he is obsessed with her, yet she goes to his house. Well, she needed to carry the uh, heating pad and the bookmark. Or that's, something, that's absurd. So. Like if you've got an, if you've got some sort of obsessed ex that you want to stay away from, you're not going over the house. You can you can drop it off at Racy's. You know what? Though? You can you can give I it to know, a friend to give it to. I have to tell you, I, I, I this, before Uh-oh. I before I moved here, Uh-oh. my this ex boyfriend had some like stuff of mine, and I was really obsessed with getting it back. That I made my sister. Go pick it up. And it was just a sweatshirt, but it was driving me crazy. I wanted it back so bad. He didn't it was really it. soft. Right. It was like a really, you know, those like fleece, soft, snuggly sweatshirts. But why? So I made her go get it. Why is he wearing your clothes? No, I left it at his house. Oh, okay. And then we broke up. Anyway, okay. so, okay. So, but now look ahead, look ahead, look ahead. Do you think this is the point where, because, and this is where you, I want you to bring a little bit of your expertise in. Do you think this is where the defense really needs to go? Uh, with the BDSM? Oh, absolutely. Okay, what's BDSM for our listeners? <laughs> it's bondage, domination, sadism, and masochism. masochism. Right, so it's BDSM. You know, it's, it's Fifty Shades. That's what we're talking about. Fifty All Shades right? of what? Excuse me? Of gray. Oh, did you okay, see the movie? Sorry. I did not. It's, a, did it's a, a love story. It's a love story. <laughs> Anyhow, what they've, got, was, they've got to establish a, 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 an extreme sex life that these two are having and they have to establish that Alex was obsessed with her and took it over the line to the point that it was threatening behavior and she had to fight back. That's where they have to go. But the defense has to set up that those wounds on Ezra were from BDSM because they can't, but they, because they can't say that Alex did it anymore. No. Yeah, it's called edging. Edging what? That Ed- kind of that kind of behavior where you use a knife. Is this what you do when you're not at work? Is study BDSM? I'm just saying study. I'm talking about reading. No, I'm reading. Like, no, I watch the trial and oh. I listen and I learn. Oh, that, okay. Fine. You, no, you do not Google BDSM on your on your computer at work. Okay, that's troubling. So, <laughs> you talk about the the rough sex, the extreme sex. Well, that is behavior that is very similar to another criminal defendant in another trial that I covered. Yes. And there are many other elements of this case that people like me are comparing to that case. That defendant's name, Jody Arias. Huh? Huh? So (laughs) when we come back, I want to make the comparison because we know how the Arias case ends, right? Guilty, life in prison. And how many similarities between this case and that case? And how will that impact the strategy of the attorneys and perhaps the verdict of the jury?
Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. As we started covering the trial of Ezra McCandless, this woman accused of being a killer girlfriend, just the look that she has in the courtroom reminded a lot of people of another criminal defendant, very famous. Bespectacled. Exactly. And it all starts with the glasses that both of them wore. And we're talking about Jody Arias. Right. Um, so as I, I thought about this notion a little bit um, deeper, I said, wait a minute. It's not just the way they look that is similar in these two cases. There are a lot of parallels. So I kind of went through and and did a little... Um, little research. A little listicle? Yeah. A little listicle happening? I got a list. I have okay. a list. A right listicle. here. Oh, wow. You actually wrote a list. You have dittos. Right here is my list. I do. Would you like a copy of the I list? I would love a copy. All Thank right. you Let the record much. reflect really I'm handing a copy that. of uh, a market V1 in evidence. Vinny's <laughs> list of the similarities between oh, Jody Arias Jody Arias and Ezra McCandless. And, and it all starts with the, the glasses and the way they look in court and, and their demeanor. I mean, the way they dress, too, seems very similar. There is this, this like, sexual element of them, even though they have the glasses and they're almost kind of covering up their bodies, but there is this prowess that almost filters through that exterior they're portraying to the world. Absolutely. I, I, will, I will say this, though. The one difference be between the two and, and the way they present themselves is Jody Arias, before trial, um, much more attractive mm -hmm. in the oh, pictures yeah. and the glam shots she took. Ezra McCandless, I mean, not so much. I mean, even well, even you look at the mug shots. Jody Aries like did like the little head tilt and the yeah. smile. Hey, how are you? And yeah. Ezra in the in the mug shot looks horrible. Well, I think Ezra was more of a tomboy look. I mean, I understand that she, uh, you know, had her gender identity issues, but her look was very tomboy. Even in the video at Racy's Coffee Lounge the day of the incident, she was more of like a tomboy. That right. was that was her thing. You know, she was very uh, into nature and all of that. But so different at trial. Well. How, how, how does I'll, this play? You what? know why? Because the defense attorneys were like, uh, all right, you need to play up this female role of yours. And uh, I, I believe the mom or somebody asked for permission to bring her makeup and clothes. Granted. And yeah, and and her makeup is very well applied. I've never she, seen a criminal defendant who's locked up that is this made up. And, and, and you know what I mean? Oh, I have. Really? Yeah. yeah to this I have. level. I, yes, absolutely. I mean, she's got foundation on. I love that you know what foundation is. But, I mean, I love it, but, but it's a little disturbing. Does. It bothers me. Because I'll be you, honest her with you. Her complexion, she does have some. I know. Why don't touch your face? She has. It's not. It's a, don't touch your face. I am you, trying no, to I'm describe just saying, you're, this. You're like touching the table. You got dirt on your face, bacteria. Now you're putting it on your face. Put, I stop don't it. need to stop worry it. about that. I I I exfoliate way more than you do. <laughs> That's disturbing. No, but to this level. So you think this? Do, do you think though this helps her in front of the jury? All this makeup and this look and this aura well, about Well, you know her? why? Yes, because the narrative in the McCandless case is that she was increasingly scared of the victim, Alex Woodworth, because he was being violent physically, but he was also calling her boy. He was saying she was handsome, and she did not like that. 
So it goes into the story. Okay. Another big part of the similarities that they both at trial are claiming self-defense. And it, it, it's it's a tough sell. <laughs> I and, never bought Jody Arias' well, self-defense. It, it's a tough sell in both cases. For those of you who don't remember, Jody Arias killed Travis Alexander. She stabbed him somewhere between 27 oh, to 29 God. times and then shot him in the head. And we don't know if the shot in the head was first or if the 27 to 29 stab wounds were first. We think he was stabbed first and then shot in the head. Yeah, but McCandless is only 16 stab wounds, no wait, shooting. Wait, wait, only. Well, compared to 29, Vincent? Only, only. There's well, no shooting. Well, here's the Give problem. Give the girl a break. And, and, and that's another similarity are the stab wounds, yeah. which, which to my perspective, is very personal. It's about rage. Yeah. It's about hate. It's about emotion. It's not about self-defense. I think it makes self-defense an extremely difficult sell when you're talking about that many stab wounds because people look at that and say, no, this is someone who was angry. Someone who was full of rage for whatever reason. And the McCandless stab wounds, they're all very severe. The least of the depth was a half inch. The most was three and three eighths inches. And that was to uh, the the long or the heart, the long area, right? The left chest wall. So uh, very, very extreme to the brain, to the neck. There was slicing of the neck. And of course, the scrotum. Yeah. And, and, when you talk about the the type of wounds, you know, you talk about the stab wounds to the to the face, to the neck, and to the scrotum, right? To the very personal, very many. Jody Arias, twenty seven stab wounds, a lot of them in his back, almost severs his head with a slice from from but ear to ear. She had a real relationship with Travis, and then shot him in the head. Yeah, she had a relationship with Travis. Ezra did not have a, as much of a relationship with Alex Woodworth, and Jody didn't. Don't you think? I mean, because this was, you know, you covered this case uh don't you think jody arias came across as more confident like she was more of that witchy woman that kind of you know that whole persona she had sort of it it, it was the, the the main difference was that black magic woman Jody Arias was obsessed with Travis Alexander she wanted him the man that she killed and it's a traditional motive I can't have him. No one else can. Right. I mean, she right. was crawling through his doggy door at two o'clock in the morning after he tried to break up with her. She would show up in the middle of the night, two, three a.m., crawl through his doggy door, and then you know, Travis, being Travis, thirty-year-old man, it's three yeah. o'clock in the morning. Someone's crawling through my door. Okay, I guess we'll have sex. Yeah. I mean, what else are you gonna do at three o'clock in the morning? Now, hello. Both. There's another similarity here, which is the multiple relationships. We know Ezra has this love pyramid that yes. we were talking about with these two other men who are crucial witnesses in the or crucial parts of mm -hmm. the case right. of the story. Uh, Jody Aries as well. She breaks. She's actually at the time she meets Travis Alexander. She's living with a man named Daryl Brewer, who's a little bit older than she is, but he's a, a man who loves her and was taking care of her. She was living in his house with his child. She was playing stepmom, um, and she was with him. Broke up with him or just left him to be with Travis. And then right after she murders Travis Alexander yeah. in Arizona, she drives up to Utah to hook up with her Mormon uh, boyfriend, Ryan Burns, and Ryan on the stand. Well, maybe that was a cover. Well, I, I believe it may have been, but yeah. they also, you know, were at least making out. That's all Ryan would admit to on the stand. Making out? That they're, well, he's Mormon. Oh. And they weren't married. They were. Okay, Ryan, so making out. That's, that's what he admitted to on the stand. So- uh, again, that became important to that case, the other relationships, just like these other relationships are significant to this case, but in a different way. Do 
think Jodi Arias, her main obsession was Travis. Did she ever really care about Daryl Brewer? Well, the one she loved. With? She upgraded. She met Travis Alexander. He was younger, and it seemed like he was more successful. And she she just gravitated towards him. Not the first uh, man she was obsessed with. Her mm-hmm. first boyfriend, when she was in high school, that she moved out of home and, and moved in with. She was so obsessed with him and stalking him that he left California and moved to Hawaii to get away from her. I mean, that's how obsessive she was. Now, the other similarity here is the extreme sexual behavior in both of these cases that is overriding it. Um, You know about the BDSM, which I explained in detail to you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Right? That's taking place in in this case. And is is a crucial part of the defense is that um, Alex was into this extreme sexual behavior and it, it was a reason for her to fight back. Well, Jody Aries made the same claims that Travis was into this extreme, demeaning sexual behavior. Um, in the Aries trial, though, they actually had um, recordings of phone calls because Jody Aries, oh, of right. course, would record yeah. her phone calls. And it was true. I mean, there was some extreme stuff that they were doing in, involving blindfolds, uh, tying to trees, and, and she would giggle about it as she went along with it. So uh, in both cases, it's a significant part of it. I think, though, that the biggest difference and the, and the bigger challenge here for prosecutors is the motive. Yeah, Jody, exactly. Jody Arias clearly obsessed with her victim. He's trying to break up with her, so she kills him so nobody else can It was a clear-cut motive from the beginning. And now we are, what, midpoint approximately in McCandless, and we still aren't getting a clear-cut motive here. No, and, and I think the problem is is that Ezra, in her mind, sees the world differently than most of us do. And, and I think that whatever her motivation may have been uh, would not be traditional in any sense. Yeah, exactly. That's I think, the problem. Yeah, I think McCandless is, she is artistic. She's an artist. So and, is Jodi Arias. Jody really? A- oh, yes. Have you oh, seen? I didn't know this. Yeah. Oh, I did know this. Yes. The, yes, I did know. She sells some of her art from, from prison, and she's also a great singer as well. She won the talent contest okay. in jail. Calm down. Now, Calm down. I just know a lot about <laughs> the case. Before we get her album. Uh, by the way, um, Jody Arias, just uh, oh, her yeah. attorneys were in court appealing her conviction. They're trying to get her conviction thrown out because of prosecutorial misconduct, which is alleged of my favorite prosecutor in the world, Juan Martinez. They didn't like the fact that he was a super aggressive uh, prosecutor, but he is, and he's mm, really good at cross-examination. So good. But I want you to take a listen to the arguments. Now, the the... The defense, or Jody Arias' attorneys, made their arguments, but then the attorneys for the state who have to defend Juan Martinez is up, are, are up in, in making their arguments, and the judge is all over him. Take a listen. And so if the prosecutor does improper things that nonetheless result in a fair trial, then it would be a greater miscarriage of justice to reverse the conviction and let a person go free who was convicted by overwhelming and fair process. So I want to make sure, and I'm going to pin you down on this, you agree that improper conduct was engaged in on the part of the prosecutor in this case? There are some instances, yes. Not as many as the defense argues, and none that resulted in jury prejudice. So (laughs) it comes back to this, right? It comes back to they're saying Juan Martinez made some mistakes. He was overly aggressive. He sort of intimated to the jury that one of the defense experts may have had a little bit of a crush on Jody Arias. 
and had a conflict of I interest that, and yeah. sent her yeah. gifts. And he crossed the line by saying that without having any actual evidence. But as I looked at the cross-examination of that witness, it seemed to me that he did actually have a crush on Jodi Arias and met with her like 12 times to evaluate her. Very unusual. Okay, but the bottom line in this type of appellate issue is, is it harmless error or reversible error? Was an and. If it's harmless error, then we forget about it. Also, they look at the evidence in the case. And if there was overwhelming evidence... Magical words. ...of guilt, then all of these little arguments, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter who had a crush on whom because of the overwhelming evidence in this case. And it, it seems there's only been four criminal defendants who've had their convictions overturned in the history of Arizona because of prosecutorial misconduct. Only really? Four. Only this four? Would, this would only be the fifth in the history of the state. Oh, my God. So the odds are long, but it's such a high-profile case, such an unusual case, that I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. I always presume the defense will lose these, that the defendant will lose their criminal appeal. Uh, and in this case, the evidence was so incredibly overwhelming. I'm just not sure, listening to those judges make the argument, because they don't watch the trial. Right. They just read, read a, the transcript. Read a transcript. And it was so different when you watched the trial and you could, and, and the feeling you got and the way these defense uh, experts and witnesses testified, the way she testified, just solidified. For 19 days, right? She was on the stand for a long time. Yeah. She, well, she started. 19 days? She took the stand on my birthday and got off the stand one month later. It was amazing. It was, uh, it was crazy. That, that, yeah. But the, the, wow. the real problem that, that the state has here is that Juan Martinez is the world's most aggressive prosecutor ever. And, and he just goes, he's relentless, and they're not used to it. And people are always complaining. They've been complaining about him for years, but this is the big one. So if they want to take him down, this is the one they'll take him down on. And we but, should tell the listeners that you did a few, I think you did a few segments on closing arguments uh, on Arius and the Canlis and the Arius appellate issue, and it's on CourtTV.com. Yeah, it's all on CourtTV.com. You can watch more of the uh, arguments from the appellate case, but you can also watch this comparison, because, and then you can see the visuals as well, because you have to see Arius next to Ezra to really get the full flavor. Yeah, when you see them side by side, you can really feel it. It is definitely palpable. Okay, so n up next, we have to discuss... Why is it, Vincent, that the victim is on trial in Wisconsin versus McCandless, the killer girlfriend murder trial? That's next. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. In the killer girlfriend murder trial, it's not just the girlfriend who's on trial. It is also the victim, Alex Woodworth. Does that bother you, Vinny? Well, I understand why. It does bother me, though, because he's not there to speak for himself. He is not there to tell his story. Uh, so it becomes a little imbalanced, a little unfair, because um, you may only hear one side of what actually happened or one version of what happened uh, inside the car. So it, it's, it's problematic because you want someone who is being trashed to be able 
to defend themselves. And he's defenseless at this point because he's dead, because he was killed by Ezra McCandless. Exactly. Now, usually, just so all our listeners understand, the victim's character is never brought into a murder case. It's off limits. But Ezra McCandless is saying that this was self-defense, that the victim, Alex Woodworth, attacked her. He was the initial aggressor. So the law says, okay, if that's the case, we have to know what was in your mind. Was your act of defense reasonable? And to determine reasonableness, we need to know every single thing that was in your head and every single thing that you felt about Alex Woodworth. So this includes what we've been talking about for the last two episodes about this case is that Alex Woodworth had a lot of philosophies that were perhaps controversial. He was fascinated by cannibalism and hedonism. Uh, he, you know, wrote in these journals. He read all these books. And, of course, there is uh, these, these, this sexual BDSM endeavors that they engaged in <laughs> and all of this is 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 basically the judges said okay it, it's coming in yeah and, it, and it's rough because the, the the picture i have of alex woodruff is this guy who's sort of quiet but has a secret life and all these secret thoughts that are deep and dark and he's not here to explain well that's just me as a philosopher Right. Versus yeah, me exactly. as a human exactly. being. And I don't know if the jury can distinguish between the two because he's not here to explain that. Right. And so it's interesting because it just because you read something. So he was, I think, pursuing a graduate degree in philosophy. And a lot of the prosecution witnesses spoke very highly of him about how smart he was and how introspective he was. He would sit at Racy's Coffee Lounge for hours just reading and drinking coffee. But so so there is I think there's a leap between saying I was reading about cannibalism and I'm a cannibalist. So no one's saying that he's a cannibalist, but he read about it and he was fascinated by it. However, she is saying Ezra McCandless has said that in the bedroom that his uh, you know, the, the sexual acts became increasingly violent, including choking and biting. And she was getting she was in fear of him. Here's, here's where I think um, it's a problem for me to believe all of this. She drives to his house. She lets him in his car, in her, her yeah, car yeah, yeah. and goes for a drive and then pulls off on this deserted, muddy road. To me, if someone is getting that dangerous and is that dark, oh, you why, would you, know. why no. would you put... And, and again, if she's the victim, and I'm not blaming the victim. You, if you know that, and you understand that, why on earth would you put yourself in that position? So to me, it doesn't have the ring of truth. I, I completely agree. What also bothers me is, okay, now, just so we, so everybody understands, uh, she's saying self-defense. To get all this character of the victim in, she has to testify, right, Vinny? She has to, like, lay the foundation. We just don't throw things into evidence because if she wants the benefit of his bad character in, she has to testify. That is the bottom brick of the house. That's the foundation. The foundation. That is the foundation. Okay. And 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 to 
to demonstrate, to prove this, to convince someone that this was self-defense, I mean, the jury needs the complete picture and, and uh, of what she was hearing and, and seeing and feeling and, and in fear of, and it has to come from her. Okay, There's no now, video of this. But, but, see, but this is what I don't like. So coming from her is just statements, and then the jury can take it as they want. What is, I, I am concerned about this. The, the defense wants to bring in uh, several of Woodward's journals. So he has a journal, a ledger book, a three-ring binder, another journal, all of his notes and his musings, uh, plus his personal copy of two books. And I think he's maybe taking notes in the, in these books. And uh, one, and this has been talked about throughout the trial, uh, Kierkegaard's Fear and Trembling. So all of this is allowed to come in, which to me bolsters the defense case in perhaps a prejudicial to the victim sort of way. Yeah, it's more prejudicial to the victim than it is probative about yeah. what was really going oh. on in his real life as opposed to his studies as a philosopher. I agree. And the first hurdle for the defense is the defense has to show, and they have submitted in their motions, that on March 22nd, she knew of everything in these journals, everything in his writings, all of his philosophies, because that's the only way this works. Because at that moment in the car, what did she know? What was in her head? Then why and, get in the car right. with him? Now, here's the... Yeah, no, I agree. Why but, park on but, the muddy road with him? I, 100%. And, you know, they switched seats. At one point, he was driving, so that was also strange. But I do want to uh, also point out, because the judge's at least preliminary ruling is that this is coming in, the judge, because if you're going to bring the victim's bad character in, the defense, the prosecution gets to bring in the victim's reputation for peacefulness. So that has also been coming out already, which is good. Yeah, and, and it came from his friends. And these were friends who all hung out at that same coffee shop. You know it's what? all about Racy's. This is all about Racy's coffee shop. Can and, we just do, we should just do a, like a live podcast from Racy's? Can I would do that. It's the coolest, hippest place in Eau Claire. I, they're not going to let us in. We're not cool enough. Okay, but you know what? We you know what? There needs to this was this was this is what will really work for this case. Okay, on rebuttal, the prosecution has to bring in like every one of his ex girlfriends to say that he wasn't violent and he wasn't aggressive and he didn't do all these things because otherwise there's just no one to speak for him. I understand that all the friends saying, "Oh yeah, he's a peaceful guy, he's a loving guy." I want ex girlfriends or you know boyfriends whatever boyfriends. Like, yeah exactly like ex-lovers that's the word of the day lovers 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 drop it down one more notch Lover. lovers lovers exactly lovers. that's how you'd say it <laughs> so i want his ex-lovers to come in and testify that no he was a peaceful guy in the bedroom i, I think that's the only way we get a picture of, of who he was is you got to hear from other people who have been in a similar situation that ezra was in which is alone with alex somewhere and uh, if you want to read more about this issue, why the victim is on trial, you can check out my article on CourtTV.com, or we will link to it in the show notes. Look at that. She's an author also. I try. Hey, you know, Court TV relaunched this past May, and the second trial we covered involved an NFL superstar who was accused of being a serial rapist. Well, there was a mixed partial verdict in that case. I'm going to explain what that means in, 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 a, in a couple minutes, but... There's now going to be a retrial, so we've got a preview of the next trial of Kellen Winslow II.
Court TV is everywhere. This is Court TV, your front row seat to justice. With live gavel-to-gavel -gavel trial coverage. We'll bring you the most compelling trials across our nation. I am a homicidal maniac. On the air, online, in your pocket. You'll see and hear all the evidence. Can you take the hose and squeeze it? And streaming free on Roku, Fire TV, and Apple TV. The verdict is in. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. The second trial ever covered on the new, the all-new, brand-new Court TV involved a uh, NFL star, Kellen Winslow II, an accused serial rapist. Well, yeah. the first verdict in his first trial was a mixed partial verdict. I think I have amnesia. I don't remember any of this. I remember there was Jane Doe number one, two, three, four, six, and seven. No, it was one through five. Oh, Jane sorry. Doe's one. Okay, see, I have amnesia. Well, let me let me describe for folks. But I love this trial. But a mixed partial love verdict is very rare. It's so very rare. rare. So what this is, there were some counts that were guilty, right? Some that were not guilty, and then some where the jury was actually hung and could not come to a unanimous verdict one way or the other. So it, it was, was a strange. Verdict. It was strange. Very I thought it was going to be an all or nothing at all. But it wasn't. And this was a case where you had five different accusers coming into court accusing Kellen Winslow II of various sexual offenses, everything from lewd conduct uh, to battery of an elder to forcible rape. Right. So there were 12 counts, okay? Counts one through three hung. And it was uh, five to seven for guilty, which means seven people were saying not guilty uh, for counts one through three. Count four, which was forcible rape, was a guilty verdict. Okay. Which, was that Jane Doe number three? No, count four. Count four is Jane Doe number two. Oh, right. Jane Doe number two. Right. Got it. Got it. I remember. She's her. trying to confuse me on purpose. No. <laughs> then you had count five, which was sodomy by use of force. That was. 10 to 2, not guilty, but it was hung, so okay. he retried. Indecent exposure, guilty on Jane Doe number 3. Forcible rape, uh, they were hung. Rape of an unconscious person, they were hung. 10 to 2 and 8 to 4. This is getting very confusing. Okay, I need like a PhD in calculus to follow exactly. you. I, I don't even I'm know what you're I'm trying to give saying. folks a flavor for the, the allegations and the conduct asleep. here. Go ahead. Lewd <laughs> conduct, guilty on one count, not guilty on another. Willful cruelty to an elder. Uh, hung 10 to 2 for guilty. Oh, that was that cute lady at the gym. In the hot so tub. So cute. Right. She was cute. So here's the thing. Kellen Winslow II, good-looking guy. So attractive. Beautiful wife. Beautiful gorgeous wife. kids. Absolutely. $40 million he earned during his NFL career. All he had to do for the rest of his life after he retired was not rape anyone. And he'd Is have a great life. That's hey, all he had to do. Have a nice life. Don't rape anybody. That's, Be a good man. Don't that, rape. Don't rape, don't pillage, don't rape. Couldn't help himself. Can't help it. He is now a convicted rapist. Seems like a small ask. <laughs> yeah. Clearly not. In this retrial, everything is at stake for Kellen Winslow because if he is found guilty of a second rape, he is then eligible for life in prison. The rest of his life. Think about it. You are, and you can, re he retired from the NFL, you know, $40 million. I keep yeah. coming back to yeah. that, right? But he's still a young guy. He has Very the rest young. of his life. But he, his victims or his alleged victims or his accusers, depending upon which one you're talking about. We're all over 50, right? All older. Yes. Yeah, all older women. Uh, 
Video. Vulnerable women as well, right. transient yes. women yes. who homeless, who, transient, older. English isn't their first language. I mean, going after women who it would be more difficult, sure, for a case to be proven, as was demonstrated by this mixed partial verdict that we had. The lawyering was great, both sides. Really good. So good. Really so good. good. I can't wait to. So this is a case out of California in San Diego. Um, and one of the reasons they're in San Diego, that's where Kellen Winslow grew up, because his father is Kellen Winslow the first. Now, for anyone out there who's a sports fan, very familiar name. Legend. Hall of Fame tight end for the San Diego Chargers. His son went to the University of Miami, was, was a top draft pick right. of the Cleveland Browns originally, and won a national championship, had it had it. A few injuries, some related to motorcycles, another one oh, that's right, the related to, yeah. to football. So uh, at the end of the day, the retrial coming up at the end of the month. So it's going to be great. Continue to track that. But everything at stake for Kellen Winslow, because if there's a second rape conviction, that is and life. And for the victims, Vinny, the victims, you know, they're still waiting for their justice if these allegations are in fact true. Absolutely. And of course, uh, we'll be covering it here. Hey, folks, um, you know, if you're so interested in the podcast and you're like, wow, it sounds like a great trial, like the Kellen Winslow trial, and yeah. I want to watch it, you can watch it on television. But you may have court TV already and you don't even know you it. You don't even know that you have court TV? Right. What? If you have a digital antenna and you get some of your television or all of your television free off of these digital antennas, they've got to be scanned and rescanned. And because we just relaunched in May and are now popping up in markets around the country like Los Angeles and Chicago. In New York. New York. You need to re-scan your antenna. Rescan it. And you may get it. And we'll check you out next week. We'll be here. Okay. Great job. I got to go. Thank you. Ciao. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.